This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Avast Business. With over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for all the links to the details. Right now though, let's jump into our featured interview. Hey folks, Richard Tubb here with another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. And I'm really excited today to welcome somebody to the show I've been looking forward to speaking to for some time. Peter Melby is the CEO of Greystone Technologies, an MSP in Denver, Colorado, that has experienced 50 straight quarters of growth. He's one of the most quoted MSP owners in the industry, and with good reason. His views on building a self-driven or accountable team are some of the most spot-on observations I've ever heard. He's also the man who first introduced me to eating seafood. I don't know if you remember that, Peter. Thanks for joining us today, mate. How you doing? Absolutely. That's the first thing I was going to ask you about, is uh, (laughs) the fallout from eating seafood, or if you've continued on that journey yet. Well, let's give some context to this one. So I, uh, long-time listeners to the show know, I live uh, was brought up in Birmingham in the Midlands, which is as far away from the sea as you can possibly get. And believe it or not, I've just reached 43 years of age, but for the first 41 years or so, I never ate seafood until I went out with this man. And where were we? We were in Boston, weren't we? We were in Boston. It was you and I and uh, Luis Geraldo from IT Glue. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And you introduced me to uh, uh, to seafood. I had a bit of a crab there, didn't I? So. It was a, a lobster roll. Um, lobster as, roll, yeah. As you have to do when you're in Boston. And uh, <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, I was I was definitely uh, excited to witness that moment for you and, and shocked that it took 41 years. But and you, you didn't you, hate. You it. were not the only one shocked. That was one of the Instagram <laughs> stories that I've shared up there that has got the most uh, the most click throughs and the most comments. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, that was that was a fun day, fun conference. It was, and it was the first time I saw you present in person as well. So you're actually calling us today from your hotel room at Continuum Navigate in Pittsburgh. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's where we first met at Continuum Navigate. So before we get started, how's this year's Continuum Navigate going for you? It's great. You know, the, so uh, Bob and Michael always do a great job. Uh, with these events and the content and just the the thoughtfulness uh, about that. And I think that this year they've split it up between Las Vegas and Pittsburgh um, they, you know, to get both the East and West coast here in America. They did London in the spring and um, then uh, city in the early summer. And uh, so by, by dividing it into four events, I think they've, they've just, they've made it more brief, but more accessible. And so it's just, it's just been a couple of really great content. And um, and good people. That's yeah. You know, that, that's my favorite part of these conferences is connecting with people like you. You know, getting to go have yeah. uh, have seafood, have a few drinks. You know, and and create those uh, friendships that uh, last, even though we live across the world from each other. Absolutely. And it was it was a continuum navigating Boston. I first saw you present um, around building a self driven or accountable team. Now. Before we jump into that, and I really want to dig deep into that because you've got so much knowledge to share on that. For for anybody who doesn't know who you are and doesn't know who Greystone Technology are, tell us a little bit about what you brought brought you here to this day. Yeah. So 
Uh, Greystone Technology is an MSP. Uh, like you said, we're based in Denver, Colorado. Um, we're about 90 staff. Uh, and I, I, I joked that, you know, we, we started this um, before it, it, you know, the, the term MSP existed, um, but also before I knew anything about anything. <laughs> and so uh, I, I got a job in IT when I was 17, just because I was willing to work for six bucks an hour, you know, and I could solve basic computer problems. And um, that, that was the birth of it. And so it's, it's been a very um, steady uh, growth in both in the size of the organization, but also in what we understand about, about the business world. And, um, you know, the, the lack of experience in business coming into it and lack of formal uh, education and training has, has been both, you know, uh, a great thing and a challenging thing in the sense that, um, we we tend to look at the industry through a different lens than a lot of other MSPs that we we know, and um, I, I think the MSP industry uh, is uh, really you know ripe with a bunch of people who started MSPs you know or IT service companies because uh, frankly they're pretty easy to start. <laughs> the barrier to entry is very low. Growing them is is really hard. Um, scaling them, you know, is another matter altogether. And I think that that's where, um, you know, we're seeing such an, in, an interesting uh, industry that has evolved from this. That's that lar- largely has come from technicians, you know, who, who now run businesses and trying to figure that out. And um, so at Greystone, our, our focus has been, you know, how do we look at it from the, from the market perspective, not just from, you know, client satisfaction or, um, you know, from the, uh, the vendor perspective of what everybody says an MSP should, you know, and shouldn't be, but what does the market need? You know, and we ask ourselves a question every year that said, if, if we were gone from the market, what would the market be missing? You know, if Greystone ceased to exist, what gap would there be, you know, in the market that we're serving? And if we can't answer the question then we're not really doing our job right, because I think that, uh, MSPs should be filling different, you know, spaces in these IT service needs. And now more than ever, I mean, people, organizations need MSPs to be performing at a top level in the worst way. And uh, so that's that's been our focus is, you know, how do we we've reinvented some wheels that we probably didn't need to reinvent. Um, but our our growth, you know, and our our success is largely based on just that that perspective of the industry and trying to you know turn things around and look at it from uh, that viewpoint of of, you know, how to actually move the market forward. Um, as well as being one of the most quoted uh, MSP owners <laughs> that I've ever met. And we'll come up to some of those quotes um, in, in a little bit. You're also one of the most fascinating in terms of your story. So I built my MSP business, and I think I was in my mid-30s when, when I exited, when I sold. I remember you saying that you had an offer to buy, a million-dollar-plus uh, offer to buy your MSP when you were in your 20s. Yes. Yeah, you're still running yeah. the MSP to today. So t- yeah. talk us through that a little bit. I'm fascinated to know more. So, you know, I, it, it, it's it, it's a little bit blurry as, as I look back because I've, I've told this, the story so many times and I've run it through so many, you know, times in my head. But I, I dropped out of college. Um, you know, I, I got a job in IT as a teenager. I went to college uh, and I was studying business and computer science and trying to run, you know, I, I, I started this business, uh, on the side and I, I gave up on college. 
um, which isn't uncommon. And people like to, you know, to talk about, you know, that as a success story. Now, the thing that most people don't realize is my dad is, is a university professor. And so I was this, this, you know, 20 year old kid at, the, at that point, you know, trying to pretend that I ran a business that I didn't know how to run and trying to justify it to my college professor father that my decision to abandon education entirely um, was was a good decision. Um, it wasn't a good decision. It wasn't made for the right reasons at all. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things we say is sometimes you make good decisions and sometimes you make your decisions good. And uh, this was definitely the latter. <laughs> so we we just kind of through brute force and figuring things out, we we had a nice little healthy business uh, by the time I was, you know, in my mid my mid twenties. Uh, and someone came along and loved what we were doing from a culture and people perspective, uh, and this you know, and offered us a uh, million dollars. Um, I think our revenue then was just shy of a million, and it, it was a pretty good buyout offer. Um, but in that process, it was the first time that that I looked at it and said, "Wait, what we've built is worth something, and I'm not ready to give it up." So that was I, that was probably the first time that I said, "You know, this is my career." You know, this is what I want to be doing rather than just uh, making that decision because I didn't want to go to class. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we turned that down. Uh, my business partner and I talked to each other out of it and uh, we're, th- we're, we're grateful for that. But I, I don't know if we would have done it had we understand had we understood how hard, you know, that next 10 years would really be. Well, you're here and you're absolutely thriving. That's a, it's a fantastic story. But, you know, I think where you are today, dare I say, you're an inspiration to a lot of people with what you're achieving. And specifically, I would say, because of your view towards the people within your business. Now, one of the quotes that I love that I've heard you say is, people are hard. <laughs> and managing <laughs> people are hard. You know, I, I used to manage people and it is difficult, but you seem to have, have, have come across like a, a formula or a way of managing people and building a team that is just incredible and brings out the best in people. Um, what does building a self-driven team look like to you? You know, for, for us, it, it looked like a lot of failing at it first. <laughs> um, but the thing that we continually learn and that we continually come back to is the idea that we have to understand human nature in order to really understand how to motivate and how, you know, so many of our, our mindsets and processes are based in really simple, um, you know, matter, you know, uh, influence mechanics and, and things like that, just understanding what makes people tick. And I, I honestly think that that's the lost art of, of company culture right now is that, um, yes, people are hard. There's no getting around the fact that people are complex. And so in an effort to, we, we all need people in our businesses, you know, at least until AI and robots take over. And, uh, then, uh, um, so, we we look to the simpler pieces of it because we feel like we can solve that. And what we end up with is culture that's based on things that have nothing to do with the work at all. 
so you you know people talk when, when they talk about company culture they talk about um their office layout and they talk about their you know the keg of beer in the fridge you know, and they have you know a table soccer you know, t- table or they have a you know a ping pong or they have great benefits packages unlimited vacation you know all of these things and it's like if the best thing about your company is that you let people take a lot of time away from work you know, like, oh, you don't have to be here that often because we have unlimited vacation. That's not really what we're striving for, you know, as far as being, you know, a top performing organization. And so we we call that the 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 snooze button, you know, on uh, inevitable culture failure is that if if you want to entertain people, you know, you want to to buy them beer and use that as you know your connection uh, to them then it's going to work for a little while and they're going to be happy until they wake up one day and they say, Oh wait, the work sucks. <laughs> like it's the problem. Isn't that they're not, or they're giving me all these gifts, but my core job is not where, you know, going where I want it to go. And so we, we, we recognize that in, in going through that process, uh, we have to, to understand that we can't build cultures that expect, you know, our employees to be selfless, you know, that that expect our employees to not be, you know, entirely self-focused, you know, and in, in understanding that and just recognizing, looking at people at face value and saying, Oh, this is, this is who you are as an individual. Um, We started to unwind all kinds of just, you know, disconnections in the typical corporate structure and typical corporate processes that really pull away from the idea of connecting to people where they're at. And so over time, it just, we realized more and more, oh, wait, it's so obvious to us why cultures eventually fail. And you know, I, I used this statistic from a, a survey a couple of years back that Uber um, was highlighted for having a dismal employee retention at 1.23 years on average. So every every 15 months, they had to, you know, the, their jobs turn over. Well, Google you know, has always been held up as this standard, you know, of, of culture, but their average tenure is 1.8 years. And that's fascinating to me because it, it's not that different. I mean, people, you know, I know a lot of people who've, you know, who've gotten their dream job. And I know a lot of people who have ended up quitting that job. And that's ultimately what we dove in to try to, to figure out, you know, how to, how to stem that tide. It's fascinating. Well, I've spent some time at uh, Google HQ across in Dublin, and let's just say for a technology person, it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It's absolutely, absolutely. Uh, incredible. There's pool tables, there is on-site masseurs, there is dry cleaning, there's restaurants on every level. <laughs> Hell, they've got, as you would imagine in Dublin, they've got a pub on every floor as well. Yeah. Yet, yet the statistics you're talking about there, as you say, there's there's not a step change between the two. And one of the quotes that I uh, you know, recall you sharing you said on a long enough timeline, every company culture succumbs to the law of human nature. And I think that summarizes what you were talking about there. People do things for their reasons, don't they? Yeah, they do. And and I think that that the the challenge when we see that, you know, and we when we start to to understand that is that we don't have a very good view of humanity. 
when we look at the human nature, you know, of, of our employees, oftentimes uh, we, we only see the disconnection between what a company wants and what an employee wants. And so a company looks at it and says, Oh, employees want to, they want to make a bunch of money. They don't want to do any work. Um, you know, they, they gossip, you know, they, they don't follow through that they, they're not accountable. Um, and we, we have all of these, these, these things where, you know, managers will point back to challenges in human nature, you know, that humans are naturally um, lazy and self-focused. And um, what's funny is that if you look at, at what, you know, employees think about their companies as well, they just want to make a bunch of money. You know, they want us to do all the work. They don't want, you know, it's actually very similar. And so when, when you break it down and you go deeper, you know, we, we, we consider those those you know negative uh, things to be the shell of you know the crust of human n- nature, and when you dig into the core of who people are, um, we we kind of all want the same things. We we want to matter. I, I want to be seen and known and accepted. Um, I want I want to make more money. You know, I want to in- improve my standing and also better myself every day. You know, I want to be a better version of myself tomorrow. Um, and people want to take risks, but they want to know that they're safe. And I think that's really what separates the the entrepreneur, you know, from the standard employees is the willingness to take that risk, you know, and not have a safety net. But our employees are, are looking to us, um, you know, to allow them to to really own who they are, to perform, but to have that that safety net. And when we embrace that, and then we start to realize that we we're not that disconnected with our employees. And um, but that's that's a hard thing to embed in an organization, as we found out that once we learned that it wasn't just as simple as saying, OK, cool, we see people this way uh, for who, who they are. Um, let's flip that switch. And all of a sudden, everybody loves us. Let's move into a, a little bit deeper. So boundaries and safety nets. So you employ something that you call directed autonomy. What is directed autonomy? So the. It's a little bit redundant, and uh, but autonomy, I think, is misunderstood in so many spaces, and I misunderstood it for a long time because I looked at it and said, um, "Oh, if if I if I hire someone and then I just let them run with with autonomy, they should do what they're supposed to do because they're a smart person." And um, it doesn't work that way, and so like a lot of managers, I was like, wait, autonomy doesn't work. So we need processes and oversight and all of these things. And, and as we've, we dug into what, uh, what it actually looked like, um, we, we recognized that, wait a second, autonomy doesn't mean freedom, you know, autonomy. Um, we, we say autonomy is where, where freedom, uh, meets accountability and, and, and purpose. And so you have to have an understanding of where you're going in order to, to be autonomous um, and to work with autonomy. Uh, but the other thing that we learned is that uh, what unlocks autonomy for most people is boundaries and direction. And so being able to, to draw you know, lines and say, this is your space to make decisions in. Um, you know, it, it gives them ownership over a situation, but it still gives us the ability to really steer the larger ship and say, this is where, where you need to go. And, um, and it's amazing how people make great decisions when they don't have to consider every aspect, you know, of, of something. And, you know, I, I use, um, 
a United Airlines uh, story in a lot of my my uh, talks where we we uh, most of us saw that story a couple of years back where they they drug a, a passenger off a plane, um, you know, and you know, beaten bloody, they lost all this this value, you know, in their stock uh, the next day. And a lot of people looking at that and saying, how could a company do that? But if you dig in, it's it's because everybody did everything right. They they followed all of their processes, and the the guy who who drugged the passenger off the plane was an airport security guard. He wasn't a United employee, um, but United had this perfect flowchart for what to do in this situation. And the last step of the flowchart was call security, and so they executed flawlessly. Um, but it didn't matter because they got you know they got drugged through the mud. They lost all that value, um, and and I've used that for a couple of years, which is funny because I also fly United. Pretty much exclusively. Um, since uh, I'm basically still fly United, <laughs> I still fly United. I flew United here. It's always great because I'm editing my slides on the plane, you know, for my talk, and I have like the slides of that event while I'm sitting on a United flight. I, I, I get some good looks, um, <laughs> but but it's fascinating because just this year, um, United instituted a new policy, and it it, it wasn't. I mean, they, they changed their policies based on that, but I fly United a lot. And one of my biggest frustrations, at, you know, is like, there was a time I missed a flight by five minutes. I missed a connection. Um, there were 12 people on the plane. It was, it was empty, you know, and I missed it by five minutes. I had to wait, um, I think another 12 hours to leave. And that flight arrives 27 minutes early, the one that I missed, you know, so they, so the, I looked at it and said, well, you could have waited for me. You know, if you had the system, you know, and they said, nope, that's our policy. We we don't wait for passengers. Well, just I think two, two, three weeks ago, they implemented a policy to allow their, their there's parameters. They say, if the flight is still going to arrive on time, if it's within this time period, if there's a guarantee that, that the connecting passenger is going to make it, they can have discretion and make the decision to hold the plane. And they've saved thousands of connections already. And so it's, I, it, I love the fact that I can bring that back to a success story, you know, around those things. And um, the reality that when you give people the ability to, to make those decisions, they do something with it. And generally they, they, they go the right direction. Something I've heard you say along those lines is as a manager or as an owner of a company of a founder, you've realized that the more you babysit, the more you need to babysit. So let's dig into this a little bit because I can hear MSP owners around the world listening to this and screaming out and saying, all of this sounds great, Peter, but if I leave people to just get on with their own stuff, they just don't deliver for me. So I've got to babysit them. Yeah. Discuss that. So it is this vicious circle where as soon as we don't trust people, they don't, they don't act trustworthy. Um, and they, you know, I think we've seen it in, in a lot of spaces. If we never, if we never give our kids, you know, trust, you know, to, to go out and do things on their own, they will be dependent on us forever. And our employees end up being, you know, I mean, growing very dependent, you know, on us in a very miserable way. And employees will leave that, you know, those jobs, you know, more quickly, uh, because they look at it and say, well, I don't have any of the they don't treat me like an, an adult. You know, the number of conversations that I've had with employees, like, yep, they treat me like a kid. And the number of conversations I've had with business owners, like, yep, they act like kids. <laughs> like, 
uh, okay, so let's take some basic lessons, you know, and try to get out of this. And the hardest thing for business owners is the, is that idea of trusting first, you know, uh, I can't trust my, my businesses. I I'm, I'm taking these risks. I'm accountable for all of this. You show me that you can, can do these things and then I'll trust you. Um, and, and it just never, it never works out. So we do have to take that leap, but we also have to recognize that leap is a lot safer than it seems like if we set it up in the right ways. Let's dig into something in terms of um, managing people a, a little bit deeper, and that's the performance management. So we've talked about the more you babysit people, the more you have to babysit them. But I know from being a former employer myself, you know, even when I've given people autonomy, there's going to be, st- I'm a perfectionist. There's going to be stuff I look at and I go, I just wish they'd do that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I just, why can't they tuck the shirt in? Why can't they do this? Why can't they, <laughs> whatever, all these little things. So performance management, how do you give people autonomy yet give them the direction? How do you manage people's performance from that perspective? Yeah, that's, that's one that's, I mean, uh, how many hours do we want to talk about this? <laughs> no, um, this is one of my favorite topics uh, because it's probably the core of a lot of our our, our learning. And um, our employment process is based on lies. And I say that you know, if you think about the resume and the job description, you know that we use you know to attract you know. Uh, Employees, you know, or to be, you know be attractive as a potential uh, employee, we're only showing the best side of something. It's a sales pitch, um, and it's never it's never going to be different than that. Um, but when you go to an interview, you're obviously trying to show your best side. You're not walking in talking about all the things that you you know all all your your challenges, you know your flaws, um, and we we have this just repetitive uh, challenge in businesses where. You know, as an employer, I hire someone that I am so excited about. They're a perfect employee, and that employee comes in like, "Oh, I got my dream job. I found the I found exactly the right company." You know, people look at Greystone and say, oh, "I really want to work there." Um, and one of the things we tell them is like, "There are going to be days that you don't want to work here." You know, you can you know, right now everything seems phenomenal, but we're going to get into this and we're going to recognize that we're people. You know, and so we, we we have those those realization moments, you know, or you know, sometimes it, you know, quickly, sometimes it t- you know, it, over the the course of time. But you realize, wait, I didn't hire a perfect employee. I hired an actual human being, <laughs> you know, and they they recognize that they work for an imperfect company run by actual human beings. And I I think that we when we understand that we we recognize a lot of our traditional performance management processes are are completely misguided annual performance reviews um you know uh things like that we don't get to where we want to go with those those things and so what we've uh recognized is um there's 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 so many elements that need to be considered in order to have continuous performance management and continuous employee engagement um and it, it it really comes down to the fact that if our employees want to know where they stand. Our employees want clear feedback. They want to get better. Um, but they also hold a, hold a really important key themselves. And that is that most, I mean, they, they know where their challenges are typically, you know, if, if I walk into, uh, you know, an employee's office and say, you didn't do this right. 
you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, you, you, know, <clears throat> you know, and talk directly that way to them, they will often close up and become defensive. Very natural. Um, but if I ask an employee, hey, what are you working to improve? What are you trying to get better at? You know, the, what do you wish was a strength that you don't see as a strength of yours? And you get honest answers when it comes to that. It's, it's amazing how much our employees already know where they're failing and where they're falling short. Yes. Yes. And, and so we've built a process, you know, a consistent you know, monthly process of engagement between leaders and employees, you know, to ask them that question, what are you working to, to improve? And then, then be very direct back with them um, you know, and say, you, we, I need you to also work on this. You know, and so it's, it's the, when we put that into a consistent process and a practice, it's this, it's, it's not as demoralizing, you know, as we expect it to be when we want to criticize somebody for something. And so we either over-criticize, you know, or a lot of managers withhold criticism because they, they don't want to degrade performance. And so when you, when you strike that balance in a consistent process, um, then all of a sudden you're connecting, you know, to a, a, you're connecting humans to humans, you know, in this idea of, we're all adults here. Let's get things out in the open. Let's deal with them. Let's not sweep them under the rug. And so you bring up you know, the, the tuck in your shirt example, you know, and they're, they're, those are little things that, that oftentimes are never said. You look at them like, Oh, I wish they would dress better. Oh, I wish, you know, but we don't actually act on them, you know, because, because it's not that big of a deal. But if you have a, you know, a a practice where you're looking at the entirety of someone's work and you're always saying, hey, this is what you could get better at. And this is what I need you to improve. And this is what I really like, you know, that, that you're you're doing. It's very easy to say those things. Yeah. And it becomes easy over time. Absolute gold advice that is as well. The first time I heard you share that, it was yeah, this is simple, but most of us don't do it as managers. So I'd encourage anybody listening to this, listen to, <laughs> take advantage of that advice that Peter has just given you there. So I said I'd quote you quite a lot. You're the most quoted man in the MSP industry, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm going to quote you out of context here and leave you to scramble to defend yourself within a All few right. seconds. You once said Steve Jobs was full of <laughs> explain <laughs> so there's a there's a quote um going around on on linkedin it's it's you know a, a meme um you know or, or and it gets posted often and it's it's attributed to steve jobs and it says something to the effect of um we don't hire smart people to tell us or to tell them what to do you know we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do and I, I definitely, uh, you know, um, I, I think that that's complete bull. Uh, and I think that anyone that looks at Steve Jobs knows that that's true because um, he didn't he didn't get told what to do. He told everybody what to do, you know. And so his legacy is on how particular he was about everything in his head being exactly how things had to be. Um, and I'm not condoning that that you know management uh, methodology, but I think that the part of that that's most um, misguided is the idea that smart people do what we need them to do just because they're smart. And anyone who's run an MSP knows this, you know, because oftentimes it's our smartest people technically that need the most direction, you know, in other aspects, you know, of what what they're doing, you know, uh, you know 
working with clients, you know, the, the bedside manner, the, um, the, the business knowledge, the business case for things, you know, it's not about how smart we are. It's about how impactful we are, how influential we are and how much, how much, you know, value we can bring, you know, in a situation and value is, is not just technical. And so there is no such thing as just let someone, let a smart person go, you know, go and they'll automatically go the right direction. I think you uh, you explained that one really well. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's, sorry, go ahead, mate. Go on. Let's see what other uh, uh, quotes are out of context. Uh, we, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of, of, of uh, worse ones that I'd have to defend, but uh. <laughs> probably none, none more that I'll quote here. I think you've got off the hook quite nicely with that one. So, but I, I want to speak about um, a specific. Uh, sort of subset of employees uh, next if I can, and that's millennials. Yes. So often sort of uh, demonized um, uh, within the MSP industry. And one of the things I hear is that, you know, millennials talk about the fact that they want to do meaningful work. But what I hear from MSP owners is, well, that's all well and good, but they can't get the basics right. I just wondered what your opinion on that, because millennials, the next, you know, the wave of people coming through now and for MSP owners, you know, of, of, of sort of my age uh, and above, uh, this is a real sort of bone of contention for them, how to manage these people when they, the biggest complaint is they can't get the basics right. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think you know the the, the criticisms of of the emerging workforce, you know, and upcoming generations around uh, lack of loyalty, you know, lack of of you know care about um, you know those basics and lack of work ethic. Um, I, th- I think they're they're all unfortunate stereotypes. I, I I get why they have you know perpetuated the way that they have, and we love to compartmentalize you know things because it makes it easier for us to think about them. Um, you know, when we put it in a nice tidy box and say millennials are this way. Um, I think the biggest difference in our I mean in the the workforce coming up is I mean I I believe we have the most externally self confident you know, uh, workforce ever, but the most inwardly self-conscious, uh, workforce ever. And the, the, the reality is, is that they're not, there's work ethic there. There's, you know, obviously not for everybody, but, you know, you know, looking at an entire generation, um, I have, the the millennials you know and even you know the the uh, younger generation coming up generation z i mean there's there's a tremendous work ethic um if we connect into them as as real people and there's an ability to follow i mean for, for them to follow through on things if we're very clear especially up front and one of the things that we that we uh, employ at Greystone is the idea of citizenship. And um, I, I tell stories about how many times I've had to track down people's time cards and just the, the basic stuff, you know. And if if I could have all that time back, you know, it'd be great. If I could have billed for all that time, you know, I I I'd be retired, you know. And uh, it's the the reality is if you show up. And I mean, or if an employee shows up and you say, "Hey, here are the basics. Here are the non-negotiables. You got to get your time card in on time," and they know from day one, or better yet, even through the hiring process, "Hey, this is what it means to be uh, an employee at Greystone. I do this basic stuff. This is just table stakes." 
um, that gives us a tremendous advantage because we've interrupted any mindset where they feel like they have any kind of an, an opinion on this. And so where we love to give people autonomy and, you know, a voice, you know, in, in so much, there's a basic set of rules that we just look at and say, these are non-negotiable. You don't get an opinion. We're happy to explain why these are the way that they are. Um, but don't argue with it. And, you know, here, this, this is what that, that takes. We all agree on this together. And once we have that decided, then we can build on top of that, all this other meaningful, exciting work. I'm not going to pretend that a time card is meaningful work. Um, I'm also going to make sure that everyone knows how important it is because we sell time. You know, we sell it in a, in a creative structure, but that's our business. And so if, if we can, can establish that citizenship, you know, and not in an, an employee handbook that no one's ever going to read, not, a, you know, but a lot of people talk about putting core values on, 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 on your, your wall and you walk into places and like honesty, integrity, you know, it, it's great, but that's not a core value to me. I mean, no one walks in and says, you know what? I don't care about honesty in my business and I don't care about integrity. <laughs> so what we want on our wall is our agreements, you know, the agreements that we have together, the reminders that we are all in this together. And as different as we are, these are the core things that we've, you know, that, that we've recognized, you know, are, are foundational to, to what we're doing. Yeah. And when you say that, it makes absolute sense to me that, you know, why don't we do this? Yet, I know, putting myself in the shoes of MSP owners who are listening to this, they're going to they're gonna agree. They're going to say, this makes absolute sense. Yet, I've got people in the business now, and we haven't made those agreements, and they're not doing the basic things that I want right. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to them about setting new expectations with existing clients, with existing employees? That is one of the hardest things. Um, and the, the thing that I, I would encourage uh, people on, and we're just realizing this, is that it's, it's very hard to, to change someone's habits if you don't change their environment in some way. If everything stays the same, but now you just have to agree to this, you know, to get your time cards in on time, I'm not going to remind you anymore. Um, you know, it's probably not going to happen very well. And so we've gotten creative, you know, at times around how we, we, you know, reset expectations, sometimes by resetting the environment. Sometimes we'll look at, I mean, so some of the most impactful things that we've done are, um, are re- rearranging the office. You know, rearranging the seating chart, um, rearranging, or even when we've moved into a new office, you know, people show up and like, oh, I see things differently. And so they're, they're more open. You, we see them make, you know, these, these changes during those, those times. And, and obviously we can't, every time we need to make a big change, we can't uh, just, you know, move offices, you know, switch up desks, you know, things like that. But we shouldn't underestimate the the the, the change that, that some of those environment or the 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 benefit that some of those environmental changes can have, just in, in resetting someone's habits as they come into work. You know, if they're going to to a different, I mean, you know, a, a different. A, a different place. If, if there's a new meeting structure, if there is something like that, and that's where, where we've been very intentional about our meeting structure, you know, to recognize that, um, you know, we, we, we make people, you know, respond, you know, to these questions on a consistent basis. Um, and we ask questions in a way that doesn't let them off the hook. 
you know, and so really trying to, to, to change how people um, experience work and not just one day walk in and say, you know, we expect you to be a different person. Nice. I get so much value from listening to you speak for it. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm so excited to hear the response to this interview because, you know, I've known you for a little while now and take up, you know, so much value from, from the things that you share. So I'm really excited to hear what people uh, make of this in the wider world. But well, thanks anyway. for all the kind words. I'll, I'll, uh, oh. I'll, I'll get you that payment later. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Check, check is fine. Electronic transfer is better. But one of the things, just to, to swell your head a little bit further, one of the things that I um, uh, really appreciate you is, you know, you, you've shared a lot of stories in the time that I've known you, but you've got this uh, amazing ability to sort of pick up lessons from the things that happen in uh, happen uh, in your experience around you, and you, at the moment you're in Pittsburgh for uh, uh, for Continuum Navigate. You're going to fly off to uh, Las Vegas for the uh, for the other half of the Continuum Navigate show that they're going to uh, have there. And I remember you telling me a story about you running on the strip in Las Vegas <laughs> that I would love for you to share with our audience uh, because there's an important lesson that you took from that. But please tell the story from the start, if you would. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I was, I was, I flew into Vegas on a Sunday. I was speaking at a conference on a, on Monday, I believe. Um, and I was attempting to be healthy. I said, you know, I'll, the, the, the best intentions, you know, going to, to Vegas, like, all right, I'm going to go for a run today. Um, and I was, I was there a day early. And so it, it was nice outside. It, it was, I think it was, it was October. Um, and so, see, so yeah, I'm just going to go for, you know, I'll do a couple miles on the strip. It's probably about all I could run at that point. And, um, so I, I don't know if you've ever tried to run on the Las Vegas strip, but it's a terrible idea. Um, and I learned that because there's no straight lines. There's no, like, you know, it's upstairs and escalators. It, it winds everywhere. You get lost. Um, but I was, I was really determined uh, to do it. And just as I was getting frustrated and about to give up, um, I look over and I see, I see these two cars and uh, there's a large SUV um, in front of a small SUV and the light is green, but the large SUV is not moving. And so the, the driver in the small uh, SUV is honking his horn and the honking becomes pretty persistent and the driver in front is still not moving. And the, the driver, you know, in back rolls down his window, yells, you know, at the driver uh, ahead of him and is very agitated. And so at this point I'm, I'm just watching how this unfolds. I've given up on my run. Uh, and um, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he's getting out of the car. Pretty sure he's going to open his door and this is going to be a scene, but he didn't open his door. Um, he opened his, his sunroof and he took a, I, I think it, it was a, an iced coffee, you know, or a nice tea of, of some sort, you know, in a plastic Starbucks cup. And he threw it, you know, put his arm up through the sunroof and threw it at the car in front of him. And never seen anything like that. But what, and, and I still see all of this this unfolding as as it hits the car, and and opens, and you know it 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 sprays you know all down the the vehicle, and hits the man in front of the car in a wheelchair, who is stuck, and can't get over the curb. 
and people are coming to help him, but it's, it all unfolded so fast that it was, and it was, it was amazing. Um, obviously awful. Um, but I, I tell that story because most of the time we, it, it takes years, you know, to change someone's perspective on something. And so we don't often get to see the moment that someone's perspective changes. Uh, but I saw the moment that he realized what was happening and how he had misunderstood that situation. And, and obviously the utter shame, you know, that, that came, came with that. But going back to that point of, of, of how we leverage how our employees think of themselves. So there's nothing that anyone could have said to him to make him learn that lesson any better. That situation taught him everything about that. No one needed to come up to him and say, hey, did you make sure you learned that lesson? He learned it. And in fact, if anyone would have come up to him at that point, you know, and the guy in the wheelchair, wheelchair definitely had some choice words um, as any of us would have. But I think if, if anyone would have been with him and just you know started yelling at him, he, he would have closed up. You know, he would have gotten angry, but I, I believe, I mean, and, and I choose to believe that he took that and that that will, that will change his perspective forever and without anyone saying anything. Um, and I think that, that that's an extreme example, but our employees are, are that way in so many ways. I mean, they learn lessons um, that if we just ask what they're thinking about, what they're, you know, what they're experiencing, we can help guide them in that. We can help coach them in that, but we don't have to be the director of every lesson that they learn. Wonderful story. Thank you for, for sharing that. With Absolutely. Us. It's, I would love to talk to you all day. I know you've got plenty of other stories like that where you've <laughs> just so much wisdom that you share, but I'm conscious you've got a conference to go back to there. But just before we go, um, let's change tact a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, the state of the current MSP market, where you see things are at the moment, what the challenges are and where you see things going. And you and I, just before we came on air, we were talking about security and how security is connected to people, for instance. But, yeah. you know, wh where do you see things going? So I think that, I mean, I, I'm definitely outspoken on where I think the challenges, you know, in, in the MSP community and the MSP market are, because I think that it's, the the business community needs MSPs right now to be performing at a top level when it comes to you know people shortage when it comes to the security um, and how those things intertwine. Um, so much of this comes back to people, and our focus on people at Greystone is not because you know we want to just deal with the touchy feely you know and the softer side of things. It's because this is a people business, a hundred percent. People use technology. We are enabling people. We are enabling you know so many aspects of how people operate. Um, and I think that one of the shifts that we've seen recently is that technology used to be simple, but but hard to manage. Everyone had a Microsoft, you know, server, you know, or multiple Microsoft servers. Everybody had Windows desktops. Uh, everything was on premise. It was you needed an IT department to run it, but it wasn't hard to make any decisions because everybody had the same general systems. Um, if, we, if we fast forward to now, technology is easy. You don't need an IT department to go sign up for Office 365, to go sign up for Salesforce, to choose an HRIS system to, you know, but it's very complicated. 
because how all these platforms work together um you know the 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 shadow it that exists you know in organizations is such a security threat and a business I mean, just an overall business efficiency threat and i think that the msp market is still trying to manage this like technicians would manage it instead of recognizing that our bigger play in this is how we help organizations operate in a new technical ecosystem and so we have, we have business leaders who have to make technology decisions and they need to rely on somebody to help them with that and the traditional it department i don't think could be any more ill-equipped to do that in terms of the influence that we have how we've we've approached uh, these things and that's where i think that our focus on on, on people and organizational processes who we hire how we build our teams um how we structure all of these things is going to, to it needs to, some disruption and um you know our we're working you know, on the edges of that a little bit just to, to to try to define some things differently but i think the it department of the future is far less you know specifically deeply technical and far more organizationally embedded and organizationally connected. Uh, we use the word context a lot. Um, one of the quotes that that we that people hear me say a lot, especially internally uh, in our company, is that good IT people solve problems, but great IT people know what problem they're solving. And that to me is the difference between where we where we have been and where we need to go is understanding that that deeper context and being able to do something with it. We started with a quote. We've ended with a quote from you. A new quote. I love it. We'll get all of those quotes in the show notes. But just before we go, there's going to be, I guarantee, I know there are going to be MSP owners who are listening to this and you've really struck a chord with them. They're going to want to speak to you more. They're going to want to pick your brains about this more. They're going to want to learn from you more and they're right to do so. I know you're putting together a program, aren't you, to to help other people with the boss or the babysitter um, um, aspect of things. How can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about that? Yeah, so you know we've we've had these conversations with MSPs, uh, you know, over the years, and it's it's always and still will remain um, more of an investment, in, you know, in the community than something that uh, that you know is a um, specific business uh, initiative of ours, but we love connecting in this way. I think that if we can learn as an MSP industry to approach people differently, uh, we'll be, we will have a deeper impact across the board. And that is something that I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done, but there's a lot of work to, to do still. So we've, I mean, I, I, I speak at a few conferences on this. We've put together a, a packet of information um, that that follows up uh, that talk and some of these these things about about our process. Um, so, uh, bossorbabysitter.com. There's uh, you know a, a way to get in touch with us uh, through that and re request some uh, information. Um, this winter, uh, we're um, we've decided to do a, a small event um, called Escape the Babysitters Club. Um, for people who have been interested in coming and actually seeing how we operate. And um, it's, it, it's a paid thing. It's a couple of days. Um, and But it's it, we're limiting it to, to three companies, you know, uh, just so, so that we can get some really good one-on-one -on -one time, um, share experiences, but uh, walk through how we've built out what we've built. And we have a little web platform that uh, is um, that it, it's more or less in a beta format. Um, and 
we you know, so uh, connecting with some companies who would be interested in in you know, using that platform after they spend a couple of days with us and giving us their feedback and seeing how it works in their organization is really our, the the way that we see taking the next step uh, it, it, uh, in this. And if, if you're not in that position to, you know, to come spend a couple of days with us, we still love connecting. So LinkedIn, um, get in touch. Uh, definitely. I'll, I'll be, a, I'm actually going to see you in uh, a few weeks in Paris. So yes, yes. Now, what new food can you introduce me to in Paris? Because we've already done seafood in Boston. Maybe I, I've come up frog frog's legs in Paris. I don't know. I was going to say, I think I think it's your turn to to uh, <laughs> find something for me to eat. But uh, no, I'll, I'll eat pretty much anything. But in Paris, I don't understand what, what any of it is. So you, you you may have to translate a bit for me over there. But uh, I'll, I'll see if I can be your guide. See if I can return <laughs> the favor there. So, hey, so com. Uh, bustlebabysitter.com will include that in the show notes and I would hugely encourage anybody listening to this to get in touch with uh, Peter directly to find out more about Bustle Babysitter uh, Peter is one of the most knowledgeable uh, people that I've come across in this industry also one of the nicest as well as you probably gathered from um, from his time here uh, hey, today Thank you for joining us today, Peter. I'm going to let you get back to continue and navigate, but I'm also going to get in touch with Bob Kosis and uh, Michael George of Continuum. I'm going to text them both now and I'm going to say, do me a favor and buy this man a beer tonight because this has been one of the best episodes that I've recorded in <laughs> quite some time, Peter. Hey, thank, thank you so much. much for taking time out of your day to come and join us today, mate. Really Absolutely. I always love, love talking to you. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for joining us today. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tubblog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Richard here, and I wanted to give a really big shout out and to say a huge thank you to our friends at Avast for bringing this episode to you. In the face of increasingly complex threats targeting small and medium businesses, yesterday's methods are no longer enough. Cybersecurity must be quicker, smarter, and more reliable than ever before. Avast business provide a range of powerful, easy to deploy security products and management platforms designed for IT solution providers and managed service providers. Avast business offer a variety of cybersecurity products that are MSP friendly. You can choose from standalone antivirus products, managed antivirus products, cloud care for layered endpoint and network security services, backup and recovery, content filtering, email security, patch management, and a management console to easily deploy endpoint protection solutions to devices in your client networks. These solutions are all backed by the largest, most globally dispersed threat detection network in the world. If you've not checked out Avast's secure internet gateway, then I'd recommend taking a look at the video demo that Avast's Paul Fenwick and I recorded. It delivers a full security stack as a service that protects users wherever they go. With 30 years as a leading cybersecurity company and over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for links to all the details. 
Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.